I showed up to that start line and that race was probably one of the most monumental moments of my life because I had been battling something for so long. I finally had that answer. And I think that was when I decided that I was going to be in control. You know, I was going to, to be the one who decided what I can and cannot do. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 44 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. At the age of 12 in junior high school, at her first track meet, Jill Kuhn was hit in the head with a shot put that crushed her skull. The first facility couldn't treat her injury properly, so she was airlifted to a trauma center where they performed two surgeries on her brain to remove a blood clot. Though Jill had to wear a helmet for a year for protection, she convinced her parents and doctors to allow her to go back to school in two weeks. I believe this is the moment where Iron Will, Iron Jill was born, strong, determined, and resilient. After her fourth boy was born, Jill realized she needed something for herself and found joy in running, discovering that movement was her therapy. Completing her first marathon in Houston was a milestone, and Jill came to realize how much she loved competing. When her boys needed swimming lessons, she joined in and learned to swim at age 38, and her Ironman dream was born. Since her second pregnancy, Jill had been struggling with autoimmune health ailments, but it took seven long years to finally correctly diagnose her with rheumatoid arthritis. During training for her first Ironman, Jill suffered an avulsion fracture of her ankle, bouts of UTIs, pneumonia, all from managing medications and a compromised immune system. Despite the odds being heavily stacked against her, Jill tapped into the tremendous support from her family and friends and her mindset mantra, I can, I will. Crossing that Ironman tri-finish line taught Jill she was stronger than she could have ever imagined. And she's teaching her boys how to keep going and be resilient in life. Quote from Jill, as long as I'm capable, I will continue to do so. I do not take for granted that movement is a gift. And despite any challenges I may have, as painful as it can be, I can, and so I will. And I will do so with gratitude. Jill is an RA warrior, Ironman, ultra runner who inspires. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Jill Kuhn, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Thank you, Ron, so much for having me on here. I'm, I'm honored to be among such inspiring athletes. Oh, my gosh. I'm honored to have you on and just can't thank you enough while you guys are on your family vacay rolling out. I'm pretty sure New Mexico somewhere. I want to say Taos because that's where I always think of, which is more for skiing, but I've seen you running a lot on trails and doing a lot of outdoor stuff. So where are you guys hanging out? It looks like you're having a blast. We're actually in Riodoso. We call it like the best kept secret because it's, it does, it's not the place where all the tourists come to, mostly just tourists from Texas. But um, it's, it's, it's not a big uh, town like Taos or Santa Fe, but it has a lot of character. Great. And how did you guys discover it? How did you find it? 
Uh, we so we took a family trip. We had been going to Disney a couple times in a row, and I was kind of over Disney. You know, <laughs> I was like, we cannot just live at Disney. So I said, let's go on on a hiking trip. You know, so I had planned. We went to Carlsbad Caverns, and then um, then we went um, up to Roswell, and then we came up to Rio Doso, and we instantly fell in love with this city. It's a cute, quaint, artist town. Um, good food, good vibes. We just love it here. So we eventually decided after a few years of visiting to get a home here. Oh, super, super. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Cause you can never tell when people are out and they're hanging and they're doing their outdoor stuff. Are they at an Airbnb or that family or, you know, is it a, a second home or vacation home? So that's great. Um, especially when you stumble upon like a, a, a lesser known secret, not as well known an area and it gives you the outdoor activities. Obviously, you have great trail running because I've seen some of your shots running on the trails. And that's always awesome to be able to get out in nature. And uh, your boys run too, right? So you have four boys. I hope I get this right. Four yes, boys. Four, yes. yes. And they're all they're all athletes, right? They all run and play Every sport. One of them, yeah. They're all runners and they're they're all triathletes also. Oh, I love this. A triathlete family. Awesome. All right. So cool. So you have some companionship on your runs. Now, can you keep up with them? Are they like rock stars at this point? Or are they just kind of like getting it, getting it going at this point? Oh no, they're definitely rock stars. I cannot <laughs> keep up. Um you know, it started when they were little, um, especially my fourth, I was training for the Ironman and he was still at home. So he was riding his bike while I was running. He was always tagging along. Uh, now I have to be the one riding my bike or I get on my lip to go so I can have some extra force behind my lip, some extra power to keep up with them because they're pretty speedy, especially my two older ones. I love it. So the whole family's involved. Uh, that's great. Four boys. We had three. Um, so, so four boys in a row, that's impressive, man. You got, you got that, you got that keep, keep going right down the line. One, two, three, four. Um, how do they get along? Are they all close? Do they get along? Well, do they, do they have battles? How does it work? Well, seeing as you have three boys, you probably know they are the best of friends. And then they also can be beating each other up the next minute. Oh yeah. It's a brawl. It's a brawl. And you're, Jill, you're looking at the middle child. So man, I was in the middle of every one of those brawls. And, uh, I was also, I learned mediation skills at a very young age. And, um, my dad, God rest him. He's not with us anymore. Raised by a super amazing mom who God bless her, us and all of us that she's still with us at almost 89 and has battled through all sorts of cancer and, and health ailments and lymphoma for 30 plus years. But um, we learned at a very early age, you better learn how to mediate and how to work the room. Because when you got one little mom and you got three wild Indian boys and it's all like, mom, 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 I want to talk about my baseball game or I need help with my science homework. It's like, you better figure out how to get that woman's attention or convince one of your brothers that this is the way to go on something specific. Like you want to watch a TV show or you want to go to this movie. These are important life skills. Well, I know it's funny that you bring up middle child because I was a middle child. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And so my entire life, long before I ever met my husband or, or decided to have children, I knew that I was going to have an even number. I would never have a middle child. And so, um, you know, when, once we had three boys, I, I knew I had to have a fourth. But it's so funny because even though I did that, my two middle ones have middle child syndrome. They, they have the personality as middle children. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So both of them, not one. You see, you have two of them that are that are like me and they're in that spot or like you. So yeah, um, I love it. I love family dynamics because it just, it shapes us in so many different ways, our own families, and then what we bring to raising 
our own when we get to the point we get to be the moms and dads. And it's just so interesting how we say we'll never do something like our mom did or our dad and then end up literally doing the exact same thing. Or, you know, we really do make changes. And it's just so interesting because I even find like the TV shows that were my mom's favorite that I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch NYPD Blue. And now like during the pandemic, I'm watching it. I'm like, all right, okay, mom, you're right. It is a great show. You know, the, fam- the first lesson I learned as a parent was never say never. Yeah, true, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So for everybody at home, for the Run Chats audience, tell everybody like where you grew up, what obviously we've learned a little about family life right there, but for you, just a little intro on you growing up, what family life was like. So I was a middle child. I had an older brother and a younger brother, and I grew up at a little town right outside of the Woodlands, Texas, which is north of Houston. Um, being the middle child and the only dot, the only girl in the family, I was super overprotected. Uh, I, I, I was very square. I never could, I couldn't get away with anything. I'd be at a party and my brother would walk up and say, don't even look at my sister. I mean, I I didn't have much of a life as a teenager. I was very protected. Oh my God. That's great. So you, they were, they were watching out on both ends. So they were, they were keeping you safe, but they weren't letting you have any fun either. So it probably, (laughs) it probably took to your like college years where you could break out a little bit and you were, you you escaped from home and you grew, so the Woodlands, Texas. Um, and you know, what about sports as a kid? Um, cause I always love to find out, you know, who played what sports, you know, how did that lead to them eventually getting involved with running triathlon, ultra marathon, et cetera. You know, as a child, I I never really, um, I never really was into sports. I never, there, it was just, I never found my niche. I never found what I was good at. In fact, I, I, I was the skinny girl who, you know, nobody, I was the last one picked for any teams. I was not athletic by any means. Um, in fact, whenever I would try a sport, I ended up injured, you know, due to most, mostly due to my clumsiness. So I just, I never really pursued anything. Um, so I've made a point of, involving my children in sport at a very early age, because I do think it's very important. And I do think I missed out on, on, on not having that. And as an adult getting into sport later in life, I really wish I would have had that as a kid. Yeah. Um, well, that's one way to learn that lesson. Um, you know, feeling like maybe you didn't take part in it. And now as a mom, when having your son so involved and seeing what a great, what great benefits it brings to the table, and it isn't just uh, physical and mental, it's just the discipline and, and also the, the myriad of coaching styles between sports, um, whatever your boys play, whether it's soccer or football, or they wrestle or, or they play basketball, um, you know, baseball, whatever, whatever it is, field hockey. Well, I don't think boys play field hockey, but you know, I was running out of sports, but um, <laughs> whatever, whatever they're into, you know, they're exposed to all that different, the different coaching philosophies. And they're also generally meeting different kids. You know, if you play baseball all year round, which in Texas you can, or in Florida or California, you can, excuse me, you can play soccer all year round. There's certain sports in warm weather climates where you can really play all year round and just be on those travel teams. And um, it's so intense and it's amazing. And these teams are incredible and they build super strong bonds. But I also feel like it leads to burnout with a lot of kids eventually, because if they don't get a full scholarship at a D1 school, or maybe they don't think they're going to make it as a pro, I think after a while, it's like, hey, you know, I've been doing this since I'm like six years old, or maybe in some cases, five years old. And like, 
what do I have to show for it? So I'm thrilled for me that I played everything. I played football, even though I was scrawny like you, man, my older brother was fully grown at 12. And you know, you, you mentioned before, we were brawling all the time. It was like, okay, we had paper routes, we shoveled snow, we cut lawns, we did everything. My mom was raising the three of us and it was really very tight on money and we all had to work and we all had to, you know, we got to keep our money of the things we did, but she was doing that to ensure we had some money on top of all the things that she was covering and the brawls we would have over who was going to deliver the papers in the morning were not pretty. <laughs> and, you know, with my older brother being fully grown and me being this scrawny little kid, it made me tough. So I'm thankful, you know, that my mom pushed us into those sports and it's great that your boys are in, but you had a, you had an interesting experience yourself with sports, you know, when you were, when you were younger, I think it was like your high school age, because I don't think I've ever heard anything, any story like this. So you definitely have to share this with everyone. So my first, um, I guess, real sport that I went for was I, I always loved running. And in my whole entire life, even though I wasn't a, a part of sports, I, I was still very active. Um, I've always loved to, to run. Um, so my seventh grade year, I tried out for the track team. And they did it differently. They didn't have track and cross country. They had um, like a cross country was an event on the track team. And um, I was not fast at all. So, you know, of course, they're like, okay, you're distance. And, and then I was going to be the track manager. Cause like I told you, I was not athletic in any way. So I think they were like, this girl has heart. She shows up, you know, let's give her something. And the first meet that I went to, um, they didn't have any distance, um, any of the cross country events. So they had me doing the, um, you know, the, the, um, keeping track of like all the yes, stats yes, and everything yes, and scoring. Yes. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. Like, do you know, like for the events you have for everybody who's listening at home, if you didn't do track and field or cross country, you, you score for the event. So each event that has, there's a certain number of points, certain things are team and somebody has to track all that. And the coaches are usually too busy running around yelling at the kids, trying to make <laughs> sure they're not late for the race or they get to the starting line on time and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's it. Right. So they kind of, you know, just a little track manager type thing. And I was over watching the shot puts. I was with a bunch of friends. We were all over there cheering on. You know, I think I was like my big sister was, you know, in, you know, how they have a big sister, big brother. I had my big sister in, um, in track was doing the shot put. And so I was over there, we were spectating and we were a group of us. We were all in the spectator area. Apparently a girl uh, was warming up. She wasn't even competing yet. And when she was warming up, she released incorrectly and it went to the crowd. Um, well, I was the fortunate one to catch the shot put right in the head. And so, yeah, it, uh, I got hit in the head with a shot put. I was 12, actually, I was in seventh grade. And I, um, you know, it was kind of like a foggy dream. I, I remember seeing people, but I couldn't really hear anything around me. And, um, I, you know, they, the coaches actually left the medical release forms at the school. So they didn't call an ambulance that, you know, they transported me in their vehicle, which is a big no, no, whenever you have a head injury and they took me to the emergency room. Well, then they would, the emergency room couldn't treat me because they didn't have any authorization. And, you know, this was not the time of cell phones. Nobody had cell phones back then. So they had all the police. I, um, somehow, I guess I had told them my parents were at a soccer game for my brother. And so they had all the police at all the local soccer fields looking around for my parents to find them to try to get permission to treat me. And finally, a friend of the family came in and signed and said she would, you know, she would acknowledge, um, take responsibility and, and for them to treat me. So at that small, and this was in Huntsville, Texas, it was a small area, small ER, and they um, 
did some some imaging and they saw that I had a blood clot in my brain. Um, they didn't have the resources there to treat that kind of injury. So they had to life flight me from Huntsville downtown to Houston to the Texas Children's Hospital. Um, and there, the first brain surgery they did was emergency surgery where they had to remove the blood clot from my brain because it was growing. And, um, you know, when I woke up from that first surgery, you know, it's not like a pain that you had in your head. It's like a pain that overtook my whole body. Um, and, and, and of course that could have even been fear. I was 12, you know, so fear could have been that pain that I was feeling as well. Um, and those few days before my next surgery were really foggy. Um, I, it was just in and out. And then the second surgery, they had to go in and my skull had fractured into tiny pieces that had embedded in my brain. So after they had gotten the blood clot down, they um, removed, they had had to remove the skull pieces. Well, young and scrawny, I was underdeveloped. So in and, and that respect, it actually helped me because they, I was still growing. My skull was still growing. So they didn't have to put a metal plate in because there was enough growth growing left to fuse it. So in the meantime, I had to wear a helmet, this big, huge white helmet. Remember I'm 12. I'm in seventh grade, junior high. So traumatic. I had really long, beautiful blonde hair. They had shaved, they had shaved only, you know, the half of my head. They didn't shave the rest of it. Um, and my dad had to do that. And it was probably, this may have been the first time I've ever seen my dad cry having to shave my head. Um, they, that, that second surgery, when they removed the skull pieces, I had stitches, staples. Uh, it, it looked pretty scary as a pretty big mess. Um, and so then they had this helmet and it was kind of open on one side and a big, huge outer plate on the other side. So imagine this 12 year old girl who's underdeveloped already <laughs> shaved head. I wore a wig because I, you know, was embarrassed. I was 12. And um, a wig in Houston is also not a comfortable thing. It's very hot and humid, itchy. Um, and then I wore this helmet on top of this wig. <laughs> it was, it was, I probably learned a lot just from that experience alone, not even counting, you know, the brain trauma, but the trauma as a, as a junior high kid, having to be bald, you know, and wear this big, huge helmet around everywhere I went. What an amazing story. I mean, that's, I mean, it's obviously trauma, 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 like physically and mentally, but then you're talking, there's the whole emotional aspect of being and a 12, a 12 yeah. year old kid, a girl with beautiful long hair, you know, having your head chopped up. Um, thankfully you didn't have to have the metal plate, as you said, that there was enough, um, tissue there, I guess, to regrow, um, and kind of fill it in for you and, and finish that area off to keep it protective and safe. Because if it isn't, um, you know, obviously you can't lead a healthy life an active life, which is like unbelievable, like in terms of like what you're doing now, doing Ironman triathlons, doing ultra marathons, marathons, stuff like that. Um, what an incredible story and, uh, no, no question that it had to shape, um, your toughness, your strength, um, in every aspect of your life, um, not just in athletics, but for any time you'd be in a tough situation in life. It's something that you obviously took from that super young age and, and brought it forward into your life. And it's pretty amazing. I definitely learned. I think that was the turning point in my life where I really learned to be a survivor, you know, and, and I learned that I had to be pretty strong to overcome that, that kind of brain injury, you know, that, you know, they weren't my parents. I, that it was, a possibility that I wasn't going to survive. Not only did I survive, but I insisted on being back in school within two weeks of my brain surgeries. You know, I was home and they were wanting to homeschool and, you know, ease back into life, but I didn't want any part of that. I wanted, I wanted to be normal. 
you know, I wanted to get back as soon as I could. And so my parents met with the doctors, you know, is that okay? You know, should we keep her down a little bit, keep her safer? And the doctor was like, Hey, if she, she can, wants to go back, let her go back by all means, you know? And I think that going back so soon, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I learned that I, I could move on. I could, and, and, and I had just found a strength in me that I, I never, you know, that scrawny little girl never knew she had. What a, what a lesson to learn. And um, obviously you're fiercely independent as well because uh, most 12 year olds aren't going to get away with telling their moms or dads they want to go back to school. It's going to be the other way around. It's going to be like, <laughs> no, you're not going to school. And the doctors also realized it was in your best interest. They, you know, at that point, as long as you're physically okay, they're going to, they're going to give you input for sure. And if they feel like that's going to be a better area for you, you know, to just be around your friends again. And, you know, even though you had a helmet on, which is crazy. I mean, just absolutely crazy, but needed. I mean, it has, there's no way you could be out there unprotected. I mean, it seems impossible to think about, but think about the randomness of life. How many times a day does something crazy happen where you just get banged into or bumped into? And it happens to people that are recovering, you know, from a stress fracture or a bone injury or something else. They get smashed right on their arm that they just got a cast off of, or they get stepped on their foot that they just got out of a boot. It just seemed, these things seem to happen and it seems to hit you right in the source of where your pain is, where your injury was. And so if you would have been walking around out there without that helmet, you know, you might've looked a little better, but God forbid something would have happened. You know, somebody could have just bumped you enough and, you know, caused, you know, more trauma and more, you know, brain issues for you. So what, what an amazing story. And then to be back at school in two weeks, this is, uh, definitely shows that you're a battler and you're a fighter for sure. You know, um, I think a big part of it too, when I went out in public, you know, looking like that, even adults would stare, of course they were curious. They didn't, you don't normally see a 12 year old girl who probably looks like she's nine or 10 walking around with a big, huge helmet on her head, you know, and, and they probably hadn't were you know, were curious. And, uh, but I think that in my mind, then I stood out, you know, and instead of feeling like I stood out, I, I did feel like I stood out because I was different but I took it more as special rather than a negative thing. And I think that kind of gave me some strength and some probably some of the independence that I have too, is because I learned to, you know, that being different made me special. It didn't make me, you know, any, anything less. Well, it's, it's wonderful that it did go that way because you could have gone completely the other way. You, know, you could have gotten withdrawn. You could have said, I want to stay home excuse me, and be homeschooled. Um, you might've felt like you needed more protection from your brothers um, and not wanting to have people around you seeing you, you know, with your head, you know, smashed up and staples and healing and, or just feeling, you know, like the odd person because you got the helmet on. So instead of all that, you're just like, nope, I'm getting back out there. I got to get back out there and I don't want to be home. Um, and we didn't have any of the cool stuff like we have today. So we didn't have 9 million cool video games and streaming and TV, you know, HD TV and all this other crazy stuff, man. It was just like pretty much, there was really nothing to do. We went to the park all day and did sports. So, you know, good choice on your part. And um, how did your friends feel about it? Um, you know, cause it's such an unusual thing that, and I totally understand no cell phones, treatment release forms, parents not being there because you got multiple kids and they're going to be at whatever game they're at or picking up whatever other sibling they have to just based on schedules. Or maybe one of them's at work and one isn't even free at all. So how did your friends feel about that when it happened to you? And what were they like in terms of the support that they offered? Um, I think I 
had a pretty supportive group of friends. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I told you at the beginning, I'm, I'm a pretty shy person. Um, but I, people who know me don't think that I'm shy. They, in fact, they would, they would deny it, you know, that I, that I'm a shy person. Um, I, I guess once I'm comfortable, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm all or nothing. And, and as you probably see through my Instagram, I'm an open book, you know, it's not that I, I hold back. It's just that, you know, a little, you know, social awkwardness, I guess, um, that I had to deal with even then. So I think that I probably, um, I try, you know, I, I didn't tell my best friends that I had wore a wig, you know, they, they, they thought I just had my hair cut, that they had to cut my surgery, cut my hair for the surgery, you know? And so, um, I didn't really open up a lot about it. I think that, um, I think even then I thought that I had to be strong, you know, and that if I, if I, I couldn't talk about it, I couldn't, you know, I just have to show everybody I'm really strong and I can come back from this. And so I really didn't open up to my friends, um, very much about it, but I know even now, even now through Facebook, people that I grew up with that were, you know, that was a huge event that they remember, you know, in junior high, um, they still talk, they'll talk, still talk to me about it today, you know, and I think that helps. Um, I kind of wish I would have talked about it more when I was younger. You know, I think that probably would have been healthier. Um, I think I do the same thing. I think with my RA, uh, you know, I think that sometimes I put on this strong front that I have, you know, I have to, I have to be strong and brave and happy and positive. And, you know, I think that I probably did that even back then and not let everybody know really what I was going through. Well, I think let's take both of them separately because they're very separate. Um, being that you're 12, I mean, that's really a young age anyway. I mean, I'm thinking back for me, 12 is little league. That's my last year of little league before we go to major league and bigger fields and longer p- pitching distances. And to me, everything always gets broken down by sports. So what, what field was I playing on? How big was it? How big was I, how, how big and strong and tough were the kids? So at 12, I mean, I don't think it's that unusual. You don't share all that much with your friends. I mean, my guy friends were, you know, trading baseball cards and, you know, we're talking about who's batting average and who should be in the all-star game. And, you know, like this is a big deal. I mean, you're getting airlifted to a hospital, you know, I mean, you're having brain surgery for blood clots and, you know, it's a huge deal. And not to mention a kid throws a shot put and hits you. I mean, not to mention like whatever they have to feel like for doing that. Um, Certainly it isn't intentional, but my God, I mean, you know, they got to live with that. You know, they just think there's always someone else. There's you, there's your friends, there's your teachers or your coaches who didn't have the forms. I mean, I mean, it could have ended really badly, obviously, in terms of you not being on the show chatting with me today and talking about it with a smile on because you may not have been here. You know, if they didn't get you to that other facility, to operate and deal with your blood clot, you know, you, you probably wouldn't be here. So thank God it worked out the way it did, but then shifting gears more to, you know, grown uphood and, you know, sharing. And yes, I, I feel you exactly. Um, I feel this tremendous, uh, I don't want to say burden because that's not the right word, but I have a very positive viewpoint and how I train, how I work out, what I want to show people can still be done by a 60 year old. And in terms of difficult things, how hard you can push and work your way through things. And that's extends to all areas of life, not just sports. Um, so I totally feel you in that. I don't really like to just go to when I'm feeling really down and, you know, it just, it took me four months to come over this stress fracture from running 60 miles for, you know, Tommy Rivers Pusey for ribs, who I didn't even know at the time. You know, I just wanted to help his family. I felt really affected by seeing those images of him with all those tubes in him and reading his wife's beautiful words about, you know, what so much suffering was going on and how much he was enduring and 
I mean, he lost 100 pounds of body weight. I mean, it's a remarkable story, seven rounds of chemo. And so I wanted to do something. Um, but then in those four months, man, there were plenty of times that I didn't want to talk to anybody, you know? I didn't want to talk to a soul. Um, but I could still use Instagram to have some back and forth with the people who I actually know care about me. And I know you have tons of people like that, um, whether they're your Ironman people, whether they're your RA people, whether they're people who know you from grade school growing up, or you've just met them along the way. Like I've met, you know, other um, marathoners and ultra marathoners and triathletes along the way. So there's so much truth in that. Um, but I think by being vulnerable, it doesn't, you don't have to do it all the time, but just once in a while, really talking about, Hey man, <laughs> I hit the skids. I'm in a rough spot. Um, man, there were plenty of times I was just like, man, if I don't go for a run soon, something bad's going to really happen. Um, because a bike ride and you're a triathlete. So you understand you have three things you can do. You can swim, you can bike and you can run, but there's only one thing for me that is my therapy and that's running. It's not a bike ride. I don't care how sexy my new Trek Madone is. I don't care how badass that bike is. It, and I can go out on a beautiful ride in any weather and I feel strong and I'm breathing and it's wonderful exercise, but running is just a very different emotional thing for me. And hell, that's why I started this show because it's like, man, I tell people at the end of every show, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight, the sign right behind me. That's my life motto. And that's, it's a good way to live because when you have these things happen to you, you know, you're, you're smashed with a shot put and you have blood clots. There's a lot of people who just be like, you know what? I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to, I'm going to go backwards. You know, I'm going to stay away from sports. I'm going to like go into my own world. I'm, I'm going to stay away. Um, I'm not going to try to take on hard things. Um, I'm not going to take on difficult sports or God forbid, when you find out you have all these health things going on, like, how are you going to handle it? Are you just going to like give up or, you know, what are you going to do about it? Because you have bigger things in mind. So talk a little bit about that because clearly you know, you didn't really get started with your sports at all until after your fourth son was born. So that's kind of where it all started for you. So why don't you start from there and then just kind of take us forward? Because because I'm interested to hear how you like got in at that point after your fourth son was born. Because obviously that's a lot, that's a lot of time in there, raising, you know, four boys, getting them to a certain age. And then all of a sudden it's like Iron Will, Iron Jill is born. <laughs> So I was still teaching full time whenever I had my fourth son. So that whole first year of his life, I was still teaching. So I was teaching full time, you know, momming four kids, uh, being a wife. You know, I felt like I was giving a lot all day long, all night long. I was just giving, giving, giving. And I feel like uh, I just came to this point in my life where I knew that I had to give a little bit more to myself or I wasn't going to be able to continue to give to everybody else. Um, and so I started running again and this time I decided to be competitive to start to race. And, um, I did my first race and, you know, I'm sure like most runners, you'll always remember your first race and I was hooked. You know, it was the first thing that I actually felt like I was good at that I could do, you know, and of course I'm, I'm not an elite runner, you know, but it was something that I could do. And, um, and for that, you know, I thought back to that scrawny little girl who could never do anything. And here I was running and I was running well. And, you know, you brought up the three disciplines, um, that, you know, that I have swimming, biking, running, and, you know, there's also strength work. There's all kinds of things you could do. And I'm a huge proponent of movement, no matter what it is, but there is something special about running. 
There really is. There's something, some special feeling. My, my boys actually call it run drunk. <laughs> She's run drunk again. <laughs> I love it. Because, you know, there's just a feeling you get after running that I don't get that same feeling after a good swim or a hard ride. And um, so I, I completely understand your feelings towards the running. Um, and I, I think I, I kind of found myself again through running, you know, um, I hate to say that as a mom, you lose yourself, but you kind of do a little bit because you are giving so much of yourself to everybody else. You forget who you are other than being a mom. And um, I think that getting back into running at that time was exactly what I needed to remember who I was. And honestly, and I will tell anybody this day upside down, day and night, running made me a better mom. You know, I, I, you know, there were people, oh, well, I don't have time to run because I'm being a good mom, you know, and would make me feel guilty at first. And I thought, you know what, like, and my kids even know too, my husband will even say, honey, go for a run. They know I'm a much better person, a much happier person. And I can give more if I give a little bit of that time to myself. And so that's what I really found, um, through, through getting back to running and, 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 and racing, I just, you know, there's nothing like the mood that's set at a race. And uh, I know you talked about ultra runners and I, I'm an ultra runner too. And I do love that solitude of being out on the trails. And But there's also something about being at packed amongst hundreds of people at that start line, you know, that that's just irreplaceable. And um, so I was hooked, you know, I, that one race and that was it. And um, so within that first year um, of that, I just started ra- running and racing by that January, that was the you know, about February, but that January I had, I, I had run my first marathon and it was a struggle, you know, the typical overtraining for the first time, you know, all those struggles, but I had also been since my second pregnancy, since my second son had been dealing with some unknown health issues. Um, I had been tested and seen I, oncologists, hematologists, you know, every doctor you can think of specialists, I actually went into preterm labor in my second pregnancy and was in ICU um, for a few weeks because, um, because of these autoimmune issues. And they I had a whole team of specialists and still I left the hospital um, not knowing what the cause of this illness was. And so, you know, for several years, I kept dealing with this unknown illness. And with that came all kinds of treatments that were not the treatment for me. They were just kind of guessing, you know, let's try this, let's try this. And, um, it wasn't until I started training for my first triathlon, uh, that I found myself in a, in a, in a um, struggling more and more with my illness. And, um, so when I first started training, I was new to the bike, new to swimming. And, uh, my, one of my very first bike rides out ever by myself, I got into a bike accident hit a curb, flipped over into a fire hydrant. And, um, as by myself, you know, um, luckily my had, my cell phone had fallen close enough to me that I could reach. So I called for my husband and he raced to pick me up. And then, you know, we still had four little babies at home at that point. So my mom came and met and took me to the hospital and it turned out that I had broken my, I had shattered my clavicle and, um, and then I had messed up my shoulder, but they really hadn't gotten to my shoulder part yet. They were more focusing on the clavicle. So that I had to, my husband at this point, my husband's in Canada. He's out of the country. Um, after he had, he had taken me home and then he had to go out of town for work. So my mom was kind of taking care of me and the kids at that point. Anyway, it was, a, it was, a, it was, it, I had the surgery 
it was uh, a really difficult recovery for me, not just because of clavicle injury, but because it had put me into uh, the worst flare of this illness that I had ever dealt with. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I remember the first two nights before my mom had decided to come basically move in until my husband could get back. My big boys would come and put their pillows and blankets on my floor and make a pallet. They were taking care of me. Um, and I, you know, as much as the injury hurt, it was more the illness that was taking over at that point. So anyway, I ended up having the surgery to repair the clavicle and going through physical therapy months later, um, I ended up having frozen shoulder adhesive capsulitis. So I had to have the second surgery on that. So it took probably about eight months before I could recover from those injuries from the bike before I could start getting back training for my triathlon. Now I say that, but I was still running. Even I, the, even after getting out of the hospital, I'm all bandaged up in a sling and I'm still running <laughs> because I was going to keep moving because movement has been my therapy for everything. Um, and I, that's one reason I guess I kind of wish I would have had that even through my adolescent years, you know, as tough as those can be, um, as an adult, uh, you know, I, I got that gift and has been my therapy and really my saving grace through all of this, this entire illness that I've had to deal with. So fast forward, I'm, I'm getting back into training for my first triathlon and it's two weeks before the triathlon. You know, I've already overcome these huge hurdles, these surgeries. I'm like, I am going to do this triathlon. The problem is at this point, I can't even walk. I'm literally shuffling. I mean, shuffling my feet. I cannot walk. I'm also covered in this, uh, severe rash. My whole body is in the swollen rash. So, you know, I've already been to a million doctors, a million different treatments. Um, I go to the dermatologist because at this point I'm like, let's at least treat the rash. So I go in and again, I'm shuffling in. I can't move. It's taking me forever. She walks in and she takes one look at me and she says, we, we have to do something. And fortunately she happened to be close with a rheumatologist and she got him on the phone right then and there. And she knew. So of all of the doctors, all the specialists that I've seen in all these years, a dermatologist is the one who got me diagnosed. She called that room. She said she knew right away, I guess, looking at me, seeing my symptoms. Um, and she works with a lot of autoimmune patients. Dermatologists, uh, really do. Um, and she called up the rheumatologist. He got me in right away. And sure enough, through all the testing, it ended up I had rheumatoid arthritis. So finally, after all these years of not knowing I had an answer. Now, um, I was in my early 40, I was probably, I think about 40 years old at that point. Um, that's very young to have rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and it's kind of a terrifying, you know, I think a lot of people think rheumatoid arthritis is just arthritis, you know, creaky bones, things like that. Um, I knew that it wasn't. My grandfather had actually died from complications from rheumatoid arthritis. So um, it was a pretty fearful diagnosis. You know, on the one hand, you have the relief of finally having an answer after all these years to being terrified of what that answer meant for me. Um, he immediately started me on, on, uh, on medications and one of those medications was steroids. And, you know, at that point, when you first start steroids, it says savings, saving grace. I mean, it, I was walking, you know, within a, a few doses of being on the steroids. And anyway, so I made it through those two weeks that helped me with mostly clear up my rash. I do remember signing in and they had to put the number on my arm. This is before race tattoos were huge and they had to write it in Sharpie and it had that rash on me. And I was so mortified because people are terrified of rashes, you know? And so, um, I remember, you know, just getting teary as they're signing me in and, um, you know, 
that triathlon, I, I think, you know, I had, I guess I had overcome so many things that had been fighting this illness for so many years without an answer. I knew that going into, I, I had to do this, you know, this was, it was huge. And, you know, it's just sprint triathlon. I don't want to ever say just because I don't think anybody really understands what it's like to do three disciplines back to back, unless you are a triathlete, you know, cause I, I feel like people think, Oh, just a sprint, you know, <laughs> there's nothing just, just, you just like a 5k, you know, <laughs> there's nothing just. And, um, you know, I showed up to that start line and I, I think that race was probably one of the most monumental moments of my life because I had been battling something for so long. I finally had that answer. And I think that was when I decided that was a kind of a turning point in my life when I decided that I was going to be in control. You know, I was going to to be the one who decided what I can and cannot do. And, uh, and so I did that sprint. I had an amazing race. Um, you know, I, uh, I cried for days. I mean, I remember we Wonder Woman movie came out shortly after that, the original, the first one or whatever. And we were, I was watching with my boys. I remember just crying through the whole movie, crying because I, I accomplished this thing that I, you know, really the odds were stacked against me that I ever would. And, uh, you know, I think, so I think one of the, you know, I think that that point, every, all, you know, all, all that weight that I've been carrying for so long and finally getting a diagnosis was kind of released throughout that race if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Uh, um, for anybody out there that's struggling with health stuff, um, it's just, it's an awful, you know, pendulum ride going up and down like an oscilloscope when you think, you know, maybe somebody tells you you might have cancer or they think it could be a lymphoma. They think it could be Crohn's disease. I mean, there's a thousand things. I have celiac, so I know about autoimmune diseases. And you know, like when your blood work is off and for everybody listening, you know, if, if there was one brand, uh, I have a couple of brands I'm super close with, Coros and Inside Tracker. Um, I, I think at some point, one of them will probably end up being the sponsor of the show. And I, I'm just such a big fan of Inside Tracker. I gave them a shout out in the last episode too, because we need to do a deep dive on our blood, our chemistry, our minerals, like what's going on on the inside, not what's going on on the outside. So you're having these awful rashes and flares and struggling to walk. And of all doctors, which you wouldn't expect, a, a dermatologist immediately like puts it together and calls a rheumatologist and gets you like on the spot, you know, diagnosis, immediate like care, steroids immediately starting to reverse, you know, the course. It's not, there's no permanent fix obviously for RA, but you finally know what's going on versus living with, and, and I don't think people can understand unless you've really ever been in limbo before, not knowing something with your own health, like what it is, okay, it could be a bleeding ulcer or it could be colon cancer turned into, for me, celiac disease because my blood numbers were like really weird out of nowhere. So that's why I believe so strongly everybody, every athlete out there, whatever your sport is, whatever your disciplines are, you have to get regular blood work done. And if you're gonna try to get that from your regular GP, your regular doctor at home, they're not gonna wanna order all the tests that we need to know what's going on in our body. So there's my shout out for Inside Tracker again, because it just figures out elevation levels, things that are way below where they need to be. And it kind of puts that 
narrative and story together for a top physician to be able to see. I see what's going on with Jill. In these situations with these levels like this, it could be this. Doesn't mean it is, but you have a little more definitive information. And for somebody like you who's now racing regularly, um, God bless, you know, you're doing ultras, you're doing triathlon, you're doing marathons, and it's just amazing and awesome beyond belief. You should feel like Wonder Woman. Um, I don't know what guys are supposed to feel like. I don't feel like Superman, but you know, <laughs> I still feel pretty good, man. And and you know, uh, run drunk is definitely getting a hashtag in this episode. So no, <laughs> quote, no shout out to the boys. Run drunk, no doubt, getting a hashtag. One of the first hashtags in this episode is going to be run drunk because it's it is a great description um, for what running can make you feel like. And it's not always a runner's high. Um, it's a matter of processing things. You're finding out what's wrong and knowing what's wrong, but being able to go out the door. And I don't care if you shuffled around the corner for one mile, three miles. I don't care if it's a half walk, half run, you're moving. You talked about movement. My sports doctor, Jordan Metzl is a famous sports physician at the hospital for special surgery, treats some of the most famous athletes in the world. The biggest word in his office sign is movement, movement here. Heels. Like the man doesn't give out crutches. You know, there's no such thing as crutches. They're not even allowed in his office. It's not even a discussion point. And when he saw my MRI, he's like, dude, people get brought in here in a wheelbarrow with your injury. He goes, they're in a wheelchair. He goes, you're walking around like you're fine. And you talked about it before. It's adrenaline. You do some something big and you accomplish something, particularly if you do it for someone else, or in your case, after overcoming all this stuff to finish a triathlon. And yeah, no, it's not just a sprint and it isn't just a 5K. Thanks for saying that because there's a lot of people out there. They're just not built to do the really longer races. And that doesn't make you any less of a badass than Jill, me, or anyone else. You're still a badass. If you put your shoes on and you go out the door and you run, I don't give a crap what pace you run. I don't care if you walk, run, walk, run a marathon. I don't care if you walk, run, walk, run a 5K. You're still a runner and you're still doing something good for your mental health and well-being. And definitely shout out to all the moms um, like you, you know, raising four boys, raising one is hard. Raising two is hard. And moms tend to take it all on. And they're like the captain of the ship where it all flows through them. And I know in my, in my life, in my world, I don't know where any of us would be without my mom. None of us, including the nieces, nephews, and the whole family tree. I mean, she always was the one. And I'm still lucky to have her. So I hope your boys feel that way. And you said they took care of you when you came home. So that already tells me that they're learning all the important lessons in life because you got to look after mom. And, you know, here it is. You know, you figure out what's going on. And a lot of people would have been like, I'm out of here. I could barely walk. I'm just on the steroids. I'm not doing this race. But no. Okay, you doubled down, you pushed all the chips in, and you said, There's no way in hell I'm not doing this race. I'm doing it. And, you know, even, you know, getting marked up with the markers before we had a different numbering system for try and having to deal with that, that's still all emotional crap you're dealing with. And you had every reason to be able to push the panic button and say, Nope, I'll find another one. I'll do another one a month or two from now. So, so good on you for, for staying the course. Um, and when you do, that's the lesson, people. When you do, there's always going to be somebody in your life who's going to wield the guilt trip. And they're going to say, I wish I had time to run, Jill. Ron, I wish I had time to be able to go for a long run on a Sunday. Anybody can carve out the time if they're willing to make the effort. 
Okay. And if you're, whether it's using your spouse, your husband, your wife, uh, your mom, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, a friend, there's always someone out there that will come to your aid if you ask. Okay. We like to help people, people that come on the show. I like to find community minded, uh, civic minded people. It, the people who like to help in this world are the ones who are the worst at asking for help. Okay. They're the ones who they'll come over to your yard in two seconds flat. They'll, you'll watch their kids. You'll do anything under the sun to make sure everybody else has what they need. But when you need something, it's not like, oh, you know what? I have to actually ask. Okay. You know what? Ask. Because you're doing a lot for other people and, you know, the way karma should be, you know, when you need help, ask, you know, and in this case, your boys are already learning. You didn't even have to ask them to do that. And that's, that's wonderful. That's good. So they're learning the important lessons. So good job to them. And they're getting a second shout out. So we got run drunk and, you know, they're, (laughs) they're in the episode twice now. So, so good job. So, so tell us about the actual race that day, you know, so you, you get to the starting line. You know, you got all these things going through your head. You know, this is your first triathlon. You know, it's not, you know, like you said, your first marathon you train for, a little overtraining, typical, all those kind of things. But your first try, there's a lot more riding on this because you were not a swimmer growing up. You were not a biker and you had a bike crash where you (laughs) ended up smashing into a fire hydrant and breaking your clavicle and getting frozen shoulder syndrome on top of all of your other stuff. So you you didn't exactly come into this thing like I'm ready to tear this up. So take us out there for race number one, sprint triathlon, take us out there on the day. Okay. So, you know, you said at three disciplines and here, uh, you know, swimming, I had just learned how to swim at 38 years old. That was the first time I'd ever put my face in the water to even swim. I mean, I legit could not swim. I mean, I probably could maybe doggy paddle if somebody could come rescue me really quick, but I legitimately could not swim. So, you know, that's the first discipline swimming. I was a brand new swimmer. Uh, biking, I'm just recovering from a horrific bike accident and running, you know, um, I, two weeks before I couldn't even walk, you know? So of course, you know, the odds were stacked against me and I knew it and I didn't go out there thinking I was going to win. Although I did pretty well considering, um, even not considering, but, um, you know, the, I, I went up there that morning and it was a, a chilly morning and people are all around me and, it, it is, you know, people are talking to me, but, I'm still kind of in my own head, you know, all I could, all I could hear is my own thoughts really kind of shaking around in there. And, um, I remember just lining up for the swim and it's that same feeling when you line up for a a run, a race, you know, um, just waiting for that gun to go off, all the anxiety, all the emotions, you know, um, it's kind of hard to cry and swim at the same time (laughs) and because you got to breathe somewhere in there. And so I think, you know, once I got in that water, it kind of all washed away. And I, you know, I, I just, I, I knew I had to go for it. Now swimming, I started in the back because I was a new swimmer. So my coach was like, start off in the back. You don't know how it's going to be. Well, starting out in the back with a sprint, a lot of triathletes can't swim. That's usually the the most difficult, um, you know, discipline for everyone. Um, biking is probably more for, so for me, but for swimming, that's the primary the thing that people struggle with, I believe. And so I'm getting out there. Well, there were people who couldn't swim. They were just trying to make it through the swim to get to the disciplines that they enjoyed. And there were people hanging on me. I mean, people trying to climb over to me to get to the kayak. I mean, I was like, what, <laughs> what do I do here? So I realized that swimming at a triathlon really is more about surviving than it is swimming. <laughs> and in a sprint, the swim is 
shorter. So it's like the whole swim, you, I felt like I, you don't really get in a groove. It's kind of like surviving the whole ordeal. Got out of the water, beaming from ear to ear. I couldn't believe I did it. You know, I swam, you know, I swam with hundreds of people on me, you know, and I swam. And um, so I got out smiling and I knew it was the bike was next. Well, even still to this day, Ron, I have done multiple triathlons. I have done Ironman. I've spent many, many miles and hours on the bike. I still have that fear. I do. I'm still fearful on the bike. I, I know it's irrational. I think I've probably caused more accidents even since then. I, I fall a lot on the bike and I think it's probably because of fear at this point. Um, so, you know, getting onto the bike was, uh, it, it was, it was big for me. It was huge, you know? Uh, so I got on and, you know, once you know, the saying it's like riding a bike, it really is. Once you get on and you start, your legs start moving, you know how to ride a bike, you know? And so I did, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing this, you know, and I'm going through and, and the bike was pretty uneventful. You know, the scariest part was getting off the bike at the end, whenever everybody else is, you know, trying to get off their bike. And, um, and I did that too. And I'm like, okay, now there's running, running's my thing, you know? And I remember this girl on my team, I had told her what my goal was. And I think my goal was like a one thirty or something like that. And she was like, oh, sure, sure. This is your first, you know, you know, whatever. Don't make goals. You know how you always hear that. And she was like, you're not going to do it basically. You know, she's like, you're not going to do it. And, she, and I, I think maybe because I was new or I don't know what, why she was naysaying to me. Uh, you know, I guess we have those in our lives anyway. And she was, she was basically telling me she'd not believe me. I wasn't going to do it. Well, that was all fine and dandy whenever I passed her on the run <laughs> because, well, and that's what I tell myself too. Every time I'm on the bike and people are passing me, cause they're always passing me on the bike because I'm riding the brakes, you know, cause I'm scared. And I'm, every time I'm like, just wait till we get to the run. Wait till we get the run. I'm going to get you. Because a lot of tri triathletes, while some can't swim, there's also a big portion of bike strong, bike heavy triathletes who put it out, all out on the bike. So then they are burned for the run. So they can't run. Um, well, I'm not burning it all out on the bike because I'm fearful. So I get out and I'm burning it out on the run. And so I remember passing her and waving at her. And she was like, oh! and, you know, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, And. And in my head, you know, sh this person didn't even know what I had gone through to get there, you know? And so to me, it was validation, not against this person, but against what I had gone through to get to this point. And so I coasted and I ran and I mean, you know, it was a 5k. So probably after a mile in the whole rest of the, of the mileage, I'm like crying. I mean, I can't even keep it together because I, I, I was doing it. You know, I was doing this. I was going from not being able to walk two weeks ago, not knowing what life held for me to doing something I had worked for years, honestly, to get to with setback after setback. And, uh, and like I said, those tears continued for I mean, a good couple of weeks after because um, I was just really, really proud. I was really proud. You should have been. And it's, it's amazing because for seven years, you're searching for an answer to figure out, you know, what is really happening with your body and what's going on with your health. And you finally get it and it's leading up right into this race and, you know, you're barely moving around and then the race comes and, you know, we all need some naysayers. We need some haters. Yeah. People say they don't. I like it. I like it. I like yeah. when people climb into it's the comments. I love yeah. people that climb into the comments and they say something. I'm just like, okay, okay. I see what's up here. All right. I see you. I hear you. I see you. Yep. It's all good. So I like that because I'm not going to be vocal about it necessarily, but in my mind, every single time I'm doing some work, that thought is in my head. 
And that's how I channel it. And I'm a big Goggins fan. And, you know, surprisingly, and because I literally could quote every line and word from that book. And I've also listened to the audiobook about 15 or 20 times because the audiobook is a very different experience because between chapters, him and Adam, who was the ghost author and wrote it for David, they do a deep dive. It's like us now going back over and saying, okay, let's talk about your first sprint try. Let's talk about that girl that you passed on the run. Let's go through it. And then you then not only talk about the, the race again, but you might talk about something else that happened that day after having written about it many times. So um, that's just one of those things like he surprisingly doesn't believe that hating and the dark side is sustainable. It's not sustainable enough fuel. And he's right because he had to do this whole, you know, he called it a mental autopsy on himself, like a, starting back from being a kid and being in fear and his mom being beaten and the kids being beaten and all these awful things that he'd been through and just emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, beatings and, you know, being called all sorts of awful racial things for being like virtually the only black kid in his school and other things. Just He went through a lot and the trauma really you know, took him down for so long until he was able to finally process it all. So he just doesn't feel, and I he think he's right. You can't live on the dark side. You know, that's why the Jedis will win in the end, right? The good, we got to feel the force and the good stuff. But I do feel that the dark side and the haters can definitely get you out of a hole in your training. They can get you back to like smashing a really important workout or when I really think about a huge goal I put out for a race, I'll be like, oh man, I'm going to show you, man. It is on. It is on. And I'm going to outwork you and I will do whatever it takes because I am not going to fail. And if I do, I'm going down swinging. So no doubt, um, you know, the fact that, you know, she was questioning you and doubting you and you got to roll by her on the run, that's just totally epic. Um, but the tears part and all, I get it. It's emotional, man. It's seven years of building up. And for anybody, you know, I have probably way more runners and way more ultra runners that are listening to my pod in terms of listeners and my, you know, my guest people that have been on the show to this point. Um, probably, let's see, Ginny, Danny Goggs, um, Bonnie is being re-recorded. So let's see, I think that's three, and um, C-Doc Run. So four, four triathletes before you. So we'll, we'll say now five. That's not a bad number out of like 43. So it's, I think it's, a, it's getting more, getting more, you know, triathletes to the show. But for my running friends or my ultra friends, if you leave this earth without doing a triathlon, you're making a big mistake. Um, because um, the way Jill just described it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to describe. Um, swimming is just, it's, it's like a survival mode in a lake or a river or an ocean, God forbid, where you have real waves crashing into you because 100%, you have contacts like me, people are bashing you in the head, kicking you, swimming over the top of you and absolutely pulling you and pushing you and doing all kinds of stuff. Now, Hey, there's plenty of moments in the swim, particularly a longer swim, like an Ironman. And I haven't done a full, I've done a, a lot of halves. Um, so I, the 1.2 is the longest I've swam in a race. I have swam longer in open water when my friend made it to Kona and I went to Kona to watch him race and he made me Gatorade was the sponsor back then dating myself. Cause, um, I was probably 33 then and I'm 60, but I came to watch him and I got to see the whole course. Like we biked out to Javi where the turnaround is in Kona and got to feel the trade winds blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. And I could see down, I'm not talking about seeing down hundreds of feet in the water at Kona. So for my triathlete friends who've 
been to Conan race like Ginny, like to see down in that water and see like Nemo colored fish. It's like an experience of a lifetime. It's, it's not even, it, there's no words that could possibly describe it properly. And the energy of being at a Leahy drive and just seeing these crowds like will these people home like a beacon, like to come home under the moonlight and finish and see people just like lose their shit you know, cry and become eight years old again and everything. It's, it's one of, it's one of the most beautiful things I ever had a chance to be a part of. And, you know, the swimming for me would always be my bane and still will, because it's on my bucket list to do an Ironman. And I, um, I've had two horrific bike crashes like you, not one, two. And so, no, you're not alone. Anybody who's ever had a really traumatic crash, I can't ride downhills. I crashed at 50 my first time, 50 miles an hour, and um, my quick release dropped and the wheel just came out. My front fork went down and I flew through the air like Evil Knievel and landed on my face and without a helmet and glasses on, you know, I would have either lost an eye or been dead or in a wheelchair. You know, I was knocked out in the middle of a road and a woman was driving home from, get this, Good Samaritan Hospital with her newborn baby. So she's coming home from Good Samaritan Hospital and leans on her horn until somebody came out from one of the homes and called an ambulance and, you know, they came and got me because I'm knocked out in the middle of a road. I mean, I could have had a spinal injury. I mean, I had all the stuff you're talking about, not to mention lots of broken bones. So those are real fears and they're not easy to overcome, but you're still out there doing it. So maybe your bike splits are going to be a little slower than if you weren't riding the brake on the downhills, or maybe you're going to get more nervous as I do when people are really close to me in a pack and we're riding. I want a little more space than the average rider. Other people may not understand that, but when you've had enough couple of crashes, it doesn't mean you need a lot. Two, two bad ones is enough. I had somebody riding the wrong way in Central Park at night, okay, on a city bike with no helmet and no light. And, you know, he comes around the corner and then he turns on some light or whether it was his phone light or something and it went right into my eyes and blinded me. And, you know, I had about a thousandth of a second to try to decide which way I was going to go and, you know, head on collision, boom, concussion, hospital, the whole bit. So in your case, you know, you are still riding, man. You're still doing it. You're not like, okay, I'm not going to ride anymore. So you ride a little slower, you know? It's not like you're riding slowly. You're just riding a little slower. You're being a little more cautious. And you know what? That leads to having more legs on the run. And I'd rather finish a race strong anyway. If I get to the Ironman and I actually cross that off my bucket list, I'm not saying I wouldn't cry if I walked across and heard Mike Riley scream, Ron Romano, you are an Iron Man. Of course I would. But I would like to finish running. I'd like to finish feeling like I ran the marathon, even if I ran it slow as hell. I'm not saying I'm going to run all 26 miles of it, just that I, I had something left, you know, to run versus what you're saying, crush the bike, trying to smash a power number and just destroy yourself. And then, you know, you're like hobbling, you know, I don't want that experience. So, and you, in your case, how do you go now from this amazing emotional first experience in your sprint, you know, finishing, you know, feeling like Wonder Woman, crying, getting all the good emotions out. How do you go from there to, taking on Ironman and going, you know, all the way upstream and going for the full distance? Uh, well, I worked my way up and, uh, you know, my, my personal opinion, I would recommend it to anybody, even, even as a runner, I would not recommend going straight for the marathon. I would not recommend going straight for the Ironman. I really like the process. 
And I did, I went from, well, I did that sprint triathlon and the next weekend was Mother's Day and I, I did a, a super sprint. And I mean, I was again, you know, hooked, you know how it is. So I went right into the super sprint and then I just trained. And so I went from, I did another, another sprint. Then I did the, um, the Oli, the Olympic distance. And then I did the half Ironman again. Um, I guess, so the, the half Ironman was on a Sunday. I did Galveston. And that Monday I was doing um, transition practice with my coach, fell on my bike, literally just fell over, you know, when I wasn't even moving, I just fell over and I knew uh, my elbow. I mean, I was, I was sick. I mean, I was, it was instant. It was instant bad, instantly bad. And I know the coach is kind of, my coach and her husband kind of took a, a, a minute like to even respond because how can someone hurt themselves from literally, you know, like I wasn't even moving. I literally just went like that, but I landed directly on my elbow. And so they took me to the emergency room and that doctor told me it was broke. Well, with a break, I knew I was out, you know, um, of, of, of doing the triathlon. And you know how it is training for a half. And it's not like it's another, you know, it's a running race where they have another one the next weekend. You know, you're going to have to wait for a whole nother year unless you want to travel for one, you know? So I had, you know, I had, um, I had fallen right before. And uh, so that ER doctor told me it was broken. And, um, I went home and of course all night long sobbing, bellowing my poor husband. I mean, I was just very dramatic. <laughs> so let me back, you know, talking about things going through, this is something, you know, not, not anything that women really talk about. So I probably should say it shortly before that, just falling over and tumbling. I was on a 12 mile run, um, training run for, you know, for the, the half Ironman and, uh, my uterus fell out while I was running, literally fell out. Well, I had no idea that could happen. Okay. I knew when I was running, it kind of felt like labor pains. You like, I could feel the pressure. I could feel almost like contractions. I mean, it, I could feel there's something going on. I had no idea. And when I got home and I took a shower and I saw really everything fell out, it was a huge, it was a complete prolapse, everything rectum, like everything just fell out on a run. And, you know, I know they go back whenever they wouldn't allow women to run. That's why they said they couldn't run. Uh, it really does happen. Uh, I did not know that it really does happen. <laughs> and luckily my, um, my gynecologist, my obstetrician at the time, uh, he was, uh, it's actually not uncommon for women. One, one, I had four children close together and then I'm a runner and then I'm also a 40. So he said it was just like the recipe for disaster. He's like, you know, it's, it was just bound to happen at some point. And, um, again, before my half Ironman. So I, if he, luckily, you know, a lot of doctors who don't believe in extreme exercise will be like, nope, call it, you're done. But he said, I can tell you to call it, but I know you're not going to do it anyway. You're going to find a way. So let me find a way to help you. So basically he kind of put it back all in there and found a way for me to keep raising. He's like, you have to have a hysterectomy. Uh, he's like, so finish your race. And then we're doing the hysterectomy. So I'd already gone through parts falling out that I had no idea that parts could fall out. Um, and that even maybe too, too much information to share, but I think that women don't talk about it. So it was very, a lot more frightening than it needed to be because I had no idea that that was a thing that it could happen. So, you know, I went through that. I found a way my doctor approved that we could wait to do the surgery after the half Ironman. And then a few days before I fell and hit my elbow. So I was like, I'm doomed. You know, <laughs> I feel like there's like always a disaster waiting for me to keep me from doing what I want to do that I'm working so hard to do. So anyway, I went that next day after crying all night long, thinking I have a broken elbow, that ER doctor said it was broken. I took the x-rays. I went to my orthopedist and he said, there's no break. 
And I'm like, there's no break. What? There's no break. He's like, no, it's nerve damage. And nerve damage is painful. You know, it was very painful. He's like, but you can race. He's like, what you could tolerate, you could do. So he kind of braced it. And for those next few days, I, you know, just did a little bit of running. I didn't do any swimming. And then I woke up that morning and I told my husband, let's go down there. Let's just see. I'll, I'll make a decision race day, you know, and, and that whole um, day leading up when you're doing, you know, Ironman Village, and all this excitement where you really should be all off your feet, relaxing, but you don't because it's just too exciting. And my elbow was so swollen. And I remember, I, I don't care. I'm going to do it. You know, once you're there and you're in that excitement, like there, there was no backing out at that point. So I, um, I pretty much swam one arm in the Gulf. It was at Galveston. So it was the Gulf of Mexico. I swam with one arm and I made it through the swim. And, you know, um, I, 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 again, you know, accomplished something that I probably shouldn't have done. Most people, if their uterus falls out, they're probably going to call it at that point, you know, (laughs) um, but I didn't. And I, and I had an amazing time. And right after that um, race, you know, that was Sunday, it was that week, I think Wednesday, I had my hysterectomy, I had a full uh, hysterectomy had and also uh, repairs because there were all, everything fell out. So they had a bladder repair, rectum repair, all those things. So it was a pretty intense surgery. That recovery was pretty awful to come back from. Uh, and um, at that point, walking to my mailbox was a victory. You know, you talk about movement, how important movement it is and just a 5k or just a whatever, you know, just to the mailbox. There are days when I celebrate that victory, you know, because that's what I could do that day. And that's, that's how it is a lot for me with my RA. I don't know if I'm gonna have a good day or a bad day and I can't control it, but I can control what I do in reaction to it. Maybe I can't even walk a mile, but I can walk the cul-de-sac or I could walk to the mailbox or I could do something to get myself moving because uh, mentally, um, I, I, again, this is my therapy. I have to, it's how I cope, you know, movement is how I cope. Um, so any long story short, working my way up, I did that, um, you know, I did a half Ironman and after getting through the, through that uh, surgery and other issues, then I decided, um, you know, I had to go for the full, you know, how could I not at that point? (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean, swimming with one arm, that's, um, you know, having body parts, necessary body parts, female body parts, like falling out, um, thinking you have a broken elbow. This is like, unbelievably, I didn't think anything could be more amazing than, you know, getting hit by the shot put that you told me about (laughs) earlier. But this, I, this, I think this one, it's close. It's, it's very hard to say. Um, but you know, your, your will is strong, you know, as, as is your name, you know, Iron Will, Iron Jill, well-earned and a perfect, uh, perfect moniker for IG because you're living, you're living that, uh, that credo every day. Um, cause most people would never even consider, you know, going through that. And, you know, obviously, you know, your husband, your family, your doctors, they know you're going to do this stuff anyway. Um, and God bless, you know, they're your support system because there's no way you can have your family and be doing these things without an incredibly supportive family. Because, you know, if you didn't have that behind you, you know, there's just no way you could take this stuff on when you're coming up against these crazy, you know, seemingly insurmountable, you know, charges and challenges. And, you know, you're like selling them on it. Let's just go there and let's go to the village. And yeah, of course, once you get there, there's no way you show up at a New York City Marathon Expo or an Ironman Expo somewhere, or the Boston Marathon Expo, man, it is over, man. I don't care what state you're in. There's no way in hell you're seeing your friends from all around the world. You're going to, you're going to get in the water 
And, you know, swimming with one arm, maybe I should try that. I might do better, better swimming with one <laughs> arm than two because I suck. It's actually a really enjoyable swim. <laughs> but, you know what? Ocean swims. I did the Kona swim, too. Um, I got to spectate twice. I was uh, got to go to Kona and spectate the Ironman championships. And the first time I attempted the swim, and it was tough. And um, at that point, I had not done a full Ironman yet. And... I was seasick because the waves were so big. The swells were huge. I was out there vomiting in the water and I actually didn't have um, my swim. I didn't have a swim buoy because of pride, you know, all these amazing athletes out there. Nobody had a swim buoy. Well, the next year when I went back, I had a swim buoy, but I was stuck out in the middle of the ocean vomiting. And the, the people that I went out with, they kept swimming in and I'm just sitting there sick as can be. And this lady, I, she was an angel. She, her son was there, right? It was there to race. And she had raced before she was from Australia. Some, she had, her hotel was off the shore and she had just happened to swim out because there were dolphins out there all the time. And she, the day before she had swam with dolphins. So she wanted to see what she could swim with that day. Well, it turned out to be me. She said, hop on my back. I'll swim you to shore. Because at this point, you know, you're delirious. I've ingested so much salt water. I, I'm, you know, thinking I may drown here, you know? And of course I, I couldn't get myself to hop on her back because <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. But she literally took me, you know, we'd swim a few feet. We'd stop and catch my breath. We'd swim a few feet. She uh, probably saved my life because she kept me clear enough to get me to that shore. And uh, then the next year when we went out, I'll be darned if I did not swim that entire swim course, <laughs> I took some Dramamine before. <laughs> but I swam that course and there is nothing like swimming that Kona course. It is amazing. Just like you said, you can see down forever. I, fe I feel like we're in the movie finding Nemo. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I've never seen so many colorful fish. I've never seen the colors of reef like that. I've also never experienced cause I didn't have a wetsuit. Um, I've never experienced temperature changes so dramatic because of the current uh, ocean streams that are flowing as you get further off the coast. And, you know, like the, the it was a Gatorade buoy back then when they were the lead sponsor at 1.2 miles out. You know, I, it just would change, Joe, by like six, seven, eight degrees, or at least it felt that much. Maybe it was two or three, but it was that extreme. All of a sudden, it'd be like cold. Somebody turned the cold shower on. <laughs> like, no, I'm not the cold shower guy, man. I need the hot water. Don't be trying <laughs> to mess with me. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the water would get back to being really super warm. Um, but it was just, I, I wish I could see that in just like a video, like what I was looking at, you know, when I was down in that swim, because it was really something. And then, you know, obviously it couldn't be more of a contrast to race day when all the athletes are jammed onto that little beach and, you know, just thrashing away. And, you know, you've seen the film, I mean, some of it underwater, some of it partially underwater. And it's really, um, it's, it's just poetic. It's so beautiful. It's so magical. And they do such a remarkable job putting that race together for years and years and years and storytelling the people that are there like you that are overcoming, you know, something like RA or some other uh, cancer or ailment they've had in their life or loss of someone or something. And they get to go out there and have their day. Um, and sometimes the people that are, you know, you know, doing those stories on and following during, they don't make the race, you know, they don't make the cutoff and, and they don't finish. So it doesn't always end well. It isn't always a happy story, but that's life, man. And that's triathlon and that's marathoning and that's ultra marathoning. Because, you know, when you took some of these things on in the state you were, you might not have finished, you know, you may not have, you know, you didn't have a broken elbow, but you weren't anywhere near okay. You didn't have the proper range of motion, you know, to be able to swim, right? I mean, you could have gotten bashed in the head and, you know, not made it out of the water or maybe not been in the right bike position and, and really struggled or crashed. So, 
you know, God bless, uh, you got an angel, you know, on your shoulder there, you know, in some of these times. And certainly the way I had the lady from Good Samaritan Hospital be my Good Samaritan, you are the Good Samaritan from Australia who was out there and saw you because, you know, hey, man, you don't know. You may not have made it back. You may not have gotten to shore. Um, I, because- I really wonder if I would have. I mean, I, it's not uh, dramatic. I really didn't know because you're not thinking straight in those situations, especially, you know, once you've ingested a lot of salt water, you're in a panic, you just, you, you don't think straight. And honestly, there were times when I thought I'm just going to go under for a break, you know, like, and, and you don't think straight and somebody, you know, I, she, she probably did save me. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it, there's physical exhaustion, there's mental exhaustion, and then you're throwing up. So anybody, you know, when you throw up enough fluids, you're immediately dehydrated. Um, and then you're ingesting salt on top of it. So it's like, it's the worst possible prescription, um, in terms of, you know, what's going into your body, what's coming out of your body. And then, you know, that's got to be like the highest saltwater concentration that I've ever swam in that water, oh, um, which is why point. I didn't put a wetsuit on. But if yeah. I, well, trust me, if I go back, I'm putting a wetsuit on, man. I'm never going in any open water swim again in my life without a wetsuit because I suck so bad at swimming. I need all the help I can get. And I don't want to have to drown anybody or grab anybody or hold on to anybody or, you know, be reaching over you or someone else to get to a kayak. I just want to float along and do my own thing <laughs> and hopefully get into some sort of a rhythm. And just like you said, man, you just get out of that water. It's hard to put into words because for me, that's my worst thing, right? It's not your worst. Um, so whatever your worst thing is, if your worst thing is the run, you know, you're probably dreading that all day, you know, versus for me, if I can just get out of the water and just like make it through the cutoff time, it's like, party time, baby. Get to the bike. Let's go. Let's start riding some people down. And then the run, of course, is serious party time. Then it's like, okay, now we're going to hunt. We're going to go chase people down. So cool. Super, super cool stuff. So that was, um, you know, you started, that was your 70.3 journey. When did you make it all the way up? And by the way, fantastic advice um, that you gave and not just for try, for running. Marathons are not for everybody, nor are ultra marathons, and nor are Ironman triathlons. We all don't have the right body types. Some of our some of us have one leg that's six inches longer than another. Some of us have feet that are different sizes. Some of us have all sorts of mechanical anomalies in our anatomy that are going to wear us down in longer distance races and cause us to break down and get really injured over time. So you have to figure out what you're best at, what do you enjoy the most, and stay in that lane. Don't worry about everybody else who's putting up, you know, they've run 100 marathons by age 40. Or If you want to run 100 marathons, go ahead and run 100 marathons. But you know what? Don't do it because someone else is doing it. Don't do it because your friend in work is doing it or a friend of a spouse or whatever. Do it because you really want it and it's important to you. And if you're not enjoying going up to the longer distances, go back the other way. Do the shorter distances because this is about finding what makes you get out of bed and feeds the fire and stokes the fire and makes you want to keep coming back to it. And I'm 60 and I have more passion and energy for this sport than I've ever had in my whole life. And um, you know, I just wish people could find that same level of passion and energy and intensity like you have or I have because if you haven't yet, you probably haven't zeroed in on the thing that you really like the most. So keep looking, 
you know, don't give up, you know, keep looking and maybe it's trail running versus road running. You know, maybe it's not major marathons like the Abbott's six stars, which is right behind me and all that. Maybe it's running more shorter, you know, local races, not as large. Maybe it's going to some other countries that are a little more off the beaten path with smaller fields. Um, you got to figure that out. I agree. And, you know, I, um, I, wanted to continue to do the distances. I think for me, I had to prove to myself that I could, um, especially with my illness. I think, I, I think it was just my way to, uh, to, to fight the illness to cope was you're not going to let you, you're not going to win. I am, you know, I'm going to make it to these finish lines and, and, you know, out of all my races, I've had one DNF. Um, and, and I, I probably should have even showed up to that race and I still made it 50 miles, you know, um, it was, you know, I made it to like couldn't push any further. And I've had a lot of family members, a lot of friends, a lot of people I don't know along the way ask me, when are you going to stop? How much are you going to put your body through? How many crazy things are you going to have to go through before you stop? And honestly, Ron, I, I can't imagine ever stopping. I know I go through crazy things. I know I put my body through a lot. And so I have dialed back where I'm not pushing, I'm not running ultras and doing Ironman and doing all these things at the same time. I've dialed back and stepped back to give my body some grace and some healing. Um, I, you know, I, I felt like I had to do those things just in case I never got the opportunity to just in case my body failed before I could, um, because there may be a time when I, I I'm back to shuffling or I can't walk, you know? And so I wanted to do what I could while I could. Um, but you know, to those people who, who, who say, haven't you had enough, you know, it, it, it's, it's my life, you know, and I, and it it has become part of who I am and it has, it it, it has become my, my sanity. You know, I, I don't know what I would do without it. And I think sometimes, or I worried before the impact that would have on my children, you know, we talked about my boys and how they're always taking care of me and, and with my RA, and my ailments and everything that comes along with that, which the broken bones are all because of medications taken from the RA, you know, it's all intertwined, all these things that have happened to me. So it sounds random that all these things are happening, but really it's not, it's all connected. Um, you know, seeing me down all the time, are they going to be a burden to them? And, you know, one thing you said earlier is, is that they obviously have this compassion. I think they have learned that, that they take care of people. They're very good caretakers because they have had to take care of me. And at the same time, they see me turn around from that and do something great. They don't see me quit. They don't see me give up. They don't see me curl in a corner or lay in bed and cry, you know, because I'm a fighter. And I think that hopefully they're learning to, to be that same way with life. Hundred um, percent. We learn by what we see. Um, we don't learn from speeches. Um, Newt Rockney and Vince Lombardi and all these great speeches and memes that you see, and all these great uh, books on business philosophy and strategy and all—they're all great. But we really learn by watching people and how they handle difficult challenges in their life and how they overcome really hard things. Which is why Tommy Rib's story struck me so much. You know, this freakishly fit like superhuman type athlete with not a six pack, like a 12 pack, you know, Greek God, handsome, beautiful wife, beautiful children. And just anybody can be destroyed. Anybody can be decimated and go from 170 pounds to 98 pounds and go through seven rounds of chemo. And all these treatments you have affecting you, affecting bones, affecting other parts of your body, causing injury. Like there'll always be repercussions whenever we take 
to choose to take a Tylenol and Advil and a leave, every single thing we put into our bodies eventually is going to have an impact on us, whether it's affecting our liver, our kidneys, or anything else. If we take too much of something, it's generally not going to be a good thing. So in case like yours, you don't have a choice. You have to be on medication to keep your situation. I don't know the word at bay is the wrong word because as you say, there are always flare-ups. There's always going to be, you know, challenges that are going to come. And there's no way to know you know, how strongly they're going to come on, how badly they're going to come on and how much they're going to affect you. Um, but the the truth is the people that are questioning that stuff, they just don't understand it. It isn't, it's not just your life. It's your life. Yes. But it's also your lifestyle. It's like, it's how you live. It's, it's, an, it's wrapped in everything you do as a mom, as a human, like in the RA community, you know, in the, in the multi-sport community, it, it's just intertwined into like who you are as a person and as a being. And, you know, when challenges hit us, you know, whether, you know, you're seven years old or, you know, 17 years old or 40 years old or 60 like me, you know, I can't tell you how many emails and messages I got from well-meant people, you know, people who care about me, my family. Do you think it's time to hang it up? You know, you ran all six majors in one year. You know, you've done things so like literally seven people in the world did that. Like, don't you think, you know, you've, you've had an amazing racing career, 60 or so healthy. Don't you think, you know, running that 60 miles was so great and you raised all this money, but, you know, don't you think it's a sign, you know, four months with this injury. And, you know, I know that nobody who's saying that to me is intentionally trying to hurt me. Okay. And they're not out in any way to try to send a message to me that's like hurtful in any way. But I'll turn that message around every single time because it's the same thing when I had the second bike crash. You know, 60 years old, it's pretty old to be still riding a bike the way you ride a bike. You're not out riding 10, 15 miles an hour. You're out riding 50-mile bike rides and 60-mile rides alone where no one's with you where something like this could happen. You're right. It could happen. But guess what? You know, I'm not worrying about how old I am or anything else. I'm going to go out doing things my way and I want to challenge myself physically, and so do you. And you know, you're showing you're sh showing your boys about being resilient and being tough and being able to bounce back um, from not only physical things but really hard emotional things and demanding things. And they're learning those lessons from you, and you know that's fantastic. And you know, I only have one; I don't have four. But I know he thinks I'm crazy as hell. I know he does. Uh, but hopefully, you know, he's written me, he, he's much more the type to write how he feels than to tell me. And that's wonderful. He's an incredible writer, but he's written me some beautiful cards over time, you know, whether it's for Father's Day or some other, you know, milestone moment, just like how, you know, proud he is of the things I do and how much I do for community and for other people. Um, but also like the, the crazy endurance stuff. I think sometimes I'll be like, what, what are you going to do? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this. So um, you know, you can't, the people that are out there putting that into your ear, you know, you know, better, you just, just tune them out and you, you listen to the inner voice, you know, the one that matters the most, because why not? You know, that's what you're here for. You know, you said it, I've said this on my show. You probably haven't even listened to any of my shows, but I've been saying it. So when you said it to me, I almost like fell off the chair. Like I've been telling people for so long, they probably don't want to hear it anymore on the show, but it's like running makes us the best version of ourselves. I'm like the best husband, the best wife, the best brother, the best business partner. I have the whole speech because it's true. And it doesn't have to be competitive running. It doesn't have to be racing. It can be to the mailbox like you talked about. After four, at three months, I got the clearance to run. And it was like, 
10 minutes walk, 10 minutes run. And I made it through the third run and I stopped myself. It wasn't my doctor. I'm like, no, 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 this isn't normal. I'm not, I have a stress fracture in my knee. This is normal. This is not, if I can't land and I'm so afraid of landing, then I'm not healed. And then it was another month. And at four months, I got the go ahead to start going again. And, you know, like to just be able to run again and again, not caring about the speed, like taking my Coros, flipping it over so I don't get competitive with myself because I know I'm a danger to myself. I'll start trying to run fast again. No, no, just look around Central Park, look around at the beauty, you know, watch carefully for where I'm landing with my feet because Lord knows, as you know, what I don't need to do right now is hit a tree root when I'm running on the dirt and the trail and sprawl and smash my knee again, which is how this whole thing started. So, um, you know, God bless, man. Don't, don't let anybody turn that inside voice of yours off because that's who you are, man. That's, that's just absolutely part of your, your DNA and your makeup. And look, that's why you have a lot of people following your journey on Instagram and people that are inspired by what you're doing, not just because of your RA, because of everything else. I mean, you're doing some awesome stuff. So keep it going, man. Thank you. I, uh, I, I hope that my boys that, you know, we talk about all of our reasons why we do it and why I started to do it, but the, why I keep doing it is, is for my boys. It really is. I, you know, I didn't grow up, um, I was active, but I wasn't involved in sports. I wasn't, you know, I was the skinny weakling. I said it over and over. Um, and I always wished I had had that. And, and my, and so my kids do, you know, they're active every day of their lives. We don't sit around and play video games all day long in our pajamas. You know, we're, we're outside, we're moving. And I hope that that movement, whether it's running or triathlon or just hiking or any, whatever movement they choose moving their body, I hope that gives them that, um, not just physical health, but mental health, you know, uh, that something that helps them survive. Oh, no question. Um, and the fact that they're active and doing team sports and, you know, they're part of what you're doing and they've been supportive and helping you when you need the help, you know, it's wonderful. Um, it's a great experience. And, you know, like as we get immersed in this and it becomes our life, not just like the lifestyle component, which is going to, you know, Galveston and going to the Ironman village or going to Kona, like how, who else would know instantly? And I could tell just by your eyes, cause we're on zoom. When I started talking about the water, I could tell instantly, I didn't know beforehand that you'd been there and swam, but I could just tell instantly, you knew exactly what I was talking about. It's just one of those experiences I doubt that I'll ever get to race in Kona, but I'll never say never because my swimming is so bad, but you know, there's other ways, there's charity ways. There's always a way if you really wanted something bad enough, having been there for my friend meant as much or more to me than me racing there. Honestly, I think me racing an Ironman somewhere else might be every bit as cool. Um, I just need Mike Riley to be there because I need, I need to hear him on the mic. So it can't be some like bootleg race somewhere. You know, I need him to be there. So it's official. And I, you know, I want the recording of that. So I can have that when I'm like a hundred, hopefully. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I, I, I met Mike Riley several times. I met him in Kona. I met him in the woodlands and I could not wait for him to call my name. Like everybody else, he had to call my name. He went to the bathroom and he did not call my name. Oh my <laughs> and God. I was devastated. And he follows me on Instagram and I had made a post. Oh, you know, I didn't get to hear my name. He called me up. He called me up and he, and he said, you know, are you ready? And I said, I'm ready. And so he told me over the phone, you know, Joe Coon, you are an Ironman. <laughs> so I, I got to hear it. 
but I didn't get to hear it crossing that finish line. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> what an epic story. Um, yeah, people don't realize, I mean, they're out there all day. I mean, you know what it's like. The volunteers are out there all day. I mean, look, it's just, these experiences are just, they're so communal. They're so pure. They're so beautiful. Um, watching somebody crash on their bike and, you know, be broken. Like, I mean, physically and have to come out of a race. I mean, how many times when I watched Mark Allen before he finally beat Dave Scott, you know, in the famous Iron Wars race, I mean, how many times it went wrong for him with huge leads and getting flats and his bike breaking and not being able to finish. I mean, it doesn't always end poet poetically beautifully. Sometimes it's tragically sad. Um, we learn so much about ourselves on those days when it doesn't go the way we're expecting and we somehow manage to finish or don't finish that day, but we'll not give up. We, we make ourselves come back to that same place, that same point that where we crashed, where we flatted, where we gave up on the swim and called over and just said, I'm out, I'm having a panic attack, whatever it is, maybe we missed the cutoff and didn't get to the run, whatever the hell that roadblock was, the, the actual physical or mental thing that happened to us at that point. It's how we choose to like go forward from those moments that shape us as people. And they make us, you know, so much deeper. Um, and we learn so much more about ourselves when we, when we come through, you know, challenges like that and just say, I'm not afraid or I am afraid. Okay. It's, it's cool to, I'm the first one to admit I'm, I'm not riding down no hills, 50 miles an hour anymore. No way. Okay, you're going to be smelling my brakes burning because I'll be riding my <laughs> brake just like you. But you know what? I have no problem. It even scares me a little when I see there's some people dive bombing the hills where I ride, and I, it scares the hell out of me because they're in those crazy positions, you know, that you see in the Tour de France riders. And I'm just like, oh God, I can't watch this because I just I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Jill. Like something's going to go wrong. You know, they're going to hit a rock, and you know, they're going to crash, and you know. So I think we all have those kind of feelings, um, but you know. That how we choose to tackle the stuff is is everything. And, you know, so Mike wasn't there to call you out, but now you're friends with him and you follow each other. I mean, that's even cooler. You should record it, man. Tell me you want me to do a recording for oh, you. Oh, I did. I recorded it. I oh. had it on my phone. I recorded my cell phone, like oh. from phone to phone, whenever he said it. So uh, I, I do have it on recording. <laughs> I love it. So now you could like play that anytime you want. That's so right. that's like, you know, that's actually a benefit. Oh, and your cat is joining the episode. Yeah, what, yeah. What's, what's your cat's name? We got to give the cat a shout out. I have a cat named Gatsby and a dog named Daisy. I'm a huge uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald fan. There we go. Gotta love it, man. Unbelievable. So we've had dogs on before. I'm not sure we've had a cat on at this point. So I love, you know, animals getting involved. My dog's curled up in a ball like 10 feet over there, but I'm not going to rotate my IMAX screen because I'll probably knock something over and my mic will <laughs> fall out and the whole episode will be done for. So, you know, Co Princess Coco has made a few appearances before. You know, sometimes she's like eating her food really loudly or slurping her water ball or she just starts jumping up on my on my chair over here trying to knock me over you know you never know you never know what you're gonna get but right now she's just very happy asleep hey i'm impressed with with a husband four kids a dog and a cat i'm, I'm afraid I mean, i'm impressed that only one has made an appearance so yeah i mean you know your son was on earlier trying to help you out with the audio yeah. right in the beginning before we got it yeah, rolling but... old lady and i need help with technology yeah gotta gotta love it all good so um so tell us, um, cause we haven't gotten there yet. Um, your, give us one story cause we've covered a lot of crazy things, like amazing things, you know, that you've been through, like, you know, unbelievable to have happened, but also 
challenges that you've tackled and overcome and came through. Give us like your favorite race experience, any distance anywhere, and what made it what made it your favorite? Well, I already told you about my first triathlon. That was huge. That was that was a big one. Um, but then of course after that, I'd have to say my Ironman. Um, you know, there is no training like training for an Ironman. There's just not. I've trained for ultras, I've trained, you know, for every distance for running and but when you're putting and, and every distance for triathlon, but when you're putting three long distances together like that, there it, it there's just nothing like it. There's not. And honestly, I think anybody who even trains for an Ironman, whether or not they finish, it, that's epic. I mean, training for an Ironman is huge. So I, you know, for all this, I have a friend, uh, pray and run, uh, and she has tried multiple times in an Ironman and she never finishes, but you know what she has heart and she put, has, has put herself through that training over and over. And to me, that's a win because that training is, is so intense and so hard. It's absolutely a win. Okay. There's, you know, I hate the whole zero sum game thing because it's not, um, because every time that we get back in that arena and every time we take a shot at it again, um, so shout out to your friend, pray and run. If I got, if I got the IG name, right? No, you don't, you don't give up. No, you keep going and good for her that she is continuing to keep going. And I hope that she makes it, but if she doesn't, I hope she's learning something along the way about how resilient she can be and how she's continuing you know, to keep taking her swings because you keep taking your swings in life. Eventually, you're going to get one down the middle and boom, you're going to crack one over the wall and you're going to get to do the slow trot around the bases, baby, because I was a division one college baseball player and that's what you dream about, man. You get to do that slow walk, go around those bases and hit home plate and have all your friends come out of the dugout and mob you. I mean, that's what it's like. I mean, it is to, to cross that line and, you know, th- the same feeling. It's a great, just as great a feeling in a sprint. It's just as great a feeling for a runner finishing their first 5K if they couldn't even run to the mailbox, you know? And that's why people just have to, the stigma of the longer distance stuff. No, it's just about committing to something that is out of your reach right now in your life at wherever stage you are, okay? And age, don't ever play the age card with me, man, because I'm 60 and I'm, I'm still rolling, man. And if I see you in a race, I'll hunt you down. You know, <laughs> I'll hunt anybody down, you know, I'll race anyone, anytime, any place. And if you kick my ass, I'm going to be like, you crushed me today, man. You, you killed it. Good job. Way to go. But I'll, right. I'll, it's all about the stage. You're absolutely right. Because even going forward, even the fact that I have done long distance triathlon, I have done ultra marathons. You know what? I'm, I'm signed up for a 5k with my boys here in, in Rio Doso. It's not going to be fast. I'm hoping I don't walk, you know, based on, you know, the the shape that I'm in. And I guarantee you that finish line is going to be just as sweet as any of those other finish lines, because this is the stage I'm in. And, you know, a finish at a 5K is something that I'd be proud of right now. So I'm so with you on on not, you know, judging distances or just stay distance because it's, it's really the stage you're in. Yeah, and we want what we want to do. Um, one of the the key uh, tenets of the show is I want to get people off the couch. I want to get people who stopped running, maybe had two, three, or four children like you, and maybe was a runner before, or maybe in your case, like you weren't really. I mean, you were on the team, and then you had this crazy accident, and you know weren't part of the team, and didn't start your athletic journey until after your fourth son was born. So, I mean, you were a very late starter to getting into endurance sports, and look at what you've done. To this point, but for anybody out there, I don't care, man, woman. 
woman, I don't care if you've never played a sport or maybe you actually ran, you know, cross country, but you hated your coach. So you gave up running I mean, it's time to dust off those sneakers and get them out of the closet. There's never been a better time because I can't tell you like the difference in my own mental health and well-being, Jill, when I actually felt like each run and you've had multiple injuries that were serious injuries, big impact injuries, and you know what it's like. I mean, a stress fracture of the knee. I mean, you can't run with one knee. It's not possible. You can, I don't know how you could swim the swim course with one arm, but you did that. Okay. You can do that, but you can't run not landing on one knee. You just can't. And so it's been, you know, literally those first couple I'm up to, I did an eight mile run yesterday um, and an eight mile straight run, you know, no stopping, no walking, just eight miles. And I had done a 10 K and then I take a day off and then I'd done seven miles and I take a day off and eight miles. And I'm not just going to add a mile every day because right now it's just, it's this re- remarkable feeling. that's not even capable of being described properly by words of just feeling like I'm being blessed or touched by God because I'm able to just go out and do what I love and what makes me the happiest person and the best version of myself. And I never took it for granted anyway, but I surely know what a blessing it is to be able to move through space and time on a bicycle, with sneakers on, on a trail, hiking with your children, whatever it is, and doing a 5K with your kids in a race. I mean, I've, I've done a couple of races with my son. It's, it's just an extra level thing. And my big dream is that he'll, and he was, his mom was a 253 marathoner. I used to coach her. She's a terrific runner. And my big dream is that he's going to, he was a really good runner in high school. He was captain of his cross country team, that he's going to want to run a marathon one day while I can still run with him and just run Boston together or New York together, like a big city race. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'll hold out for that. But hopefully he doesn't <laughs> wait till I'm like 90 because, you know, then we're not going to be running it all together, you know, maybe like two feet, you know, but um, it's super cool that you have your boys um, involved in that now. And that's something you guys can do uh, as they get older, even if they're blown by you and just like uh, get to the starting line with you and be like, peace out, mom, we'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you could still hang post race and, you know, it's all, it's all good, right? That's right. Um, one thing we didn't cover, well, I two things. So um, one was just, I was just wondering, I always love to know my mantra is right behind me in that sign. Can you see the stay in the fight sign there? Now, how cool is this? A runner who I've never met in person, but just know him the way we know, you know, people on Instagram, you know, our friends that we connect with. Um, it was Facebook running groups in this case. He has, is on Instagram, but he's not very active on Instagram. He, you know, does like a post every few months or something. So he's not like a regular person I could reach there. But we're on a few Facebook running groups. And he found out, you know, how I talked about staying the fight and I'd write my posts and I'm like, look, I don't care what happens to you out there. Like you have to visualize for me, that's how staying the fight came to be. I just think about how a boxer could be on the ropes and just literally getting pounded and could cover up and maybe make it through to the end of a round, but not get knocked out at that moment when he was at his weakest moment, when he was in his toughest spot out there on the fight out on his feet, exhausted. You know, if you can find a way to just say, okay, I'm going to ease off the pace here for a little bit. I'm just going to pull back 10 seconds a mile, 15 seconds a mile, or maybe I'll even allow myself to walk, you know, a hundred yards or 200 yards to the aid station table or walk through the aid station table and just take a few drinks, dump some water on my head, and I'm going to regroup and I'm just going to regather myself and stay in the fight. Like that's the image I would always give myself. Like nobody's going to take me off my feet. Nobody's going to knock me out. Nobody pinned me in wrestling. Like I'm not 
going to let this happen. I have control of the situation. I'm going to stay in the fight. I'm going to keep fighting. And he made this sign for me. I've never met him in my entire life. He made the sign like in his wood shop and painted it the Boston colors and sent it to me. So that will always have like amazing significance, you know, for a stranger to do something. Well, we're not strangers, but you know, people that haven't even met in person because they just believe you know, what you're talking about, or they believe in you or what you're doing or what you're talking about. So um, the impact we can have on others, you never lose sight of that. Um, Cause he's a young guy and he's building up to do his first hundred miler. Um, and he's a great guy. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best name is Tim Schmidt. I don't even know his Instagram name, but you know, he's just a great guy and he's made signs like this for other people. So that's why not just your boys are watching, other people are always watching. They're watching you, they're watching me, and hearing about your story and some of the crazy things that you've been through and overcome, that's gonna inspire somebody. And you know what? You giving your shout out to your friend who hasn't finished an Ironman, God bless her, man. You know, I'll get her, she can come on the show, man. We'll get her on the show, we'll talk to her, and we'll figure out what can we do to help get her over the hurdle, the final hurdle. Or maybe it's time for her to focus just on 70.3 or other distances and just not you know, not uh, not do it. Who knows? But there's that story, it hasn't been finished yet. There's more chapters to it, just like there's more chapters to you and there's more to me. Um, so that's my mantra. What about you? When you're racing, anything, you know, marathon, ultra, Ironman, what's your mantra when you're out there? What are you, what's, what are you telling yourself as you're, as you're working your way through these races? So it may not come as a surprise because of my Iron Will, Iron Jill name, but uh, my mantra is I can, I will. And I think that as long as I'm will, as, as long as I'm able, I, I'm going to do it. Um, you know, there are people who are in much tougher situations than I am physically, mentally, uh, whatever their their burden that they carry is. Um, and I'm I, I'm able to do it. I, it may be walking, you know, it may be running slow, but it's doing it. It's moving, and um, you know that's what gets me out of bed on day that, that I can't walk, that I'm shuffling. And you know what, what can I do? I can go to the mailbox. Okay, let's go. That's what I'm going to do. You know? So I think that that is always in my mind, no matter what race I've done from Ironman to ultras to, you know, any distances, um, that's all I'm capable of doing it. It's going to get done. That's fantastic. It's perfect. Again, it fits fits with your Instagram name, your brand, but it's also who you are. So you believe in it. And a mantra is not powerful unless you believe in it. So it's like Harry Potter or anything else that's out there. You can't take somebody else's curse or their house name. It doesn't have any power. It's got to be yours. You have to own it. So stay in the fight has power to me. If it doesn't mean anything to you, there's just no point in talking that through in your head when things get really difficult. But not having some mantra or mental mindset for yourself to prepare when things go wrong is incomplete. You get an incomplete grade mark from me as the teacher. You were a teacher, you got an incomplete. You get failed assignment, incomplete. Come see me. That's what you get, okay? Because trust me, something always goes wrong in a marathon, in a half Ironman, in a sprint triathlon, in any distance race, in ultra, something always goes wrong. Something will always happen to you that there's no way on earth you could have ever possibly imagined, and it will. And when it does, that's where the mindset mantra stuff comes to the forefront and will guide you through those points in the race where you just say, then you have a story to tell. 
then you have an epic story to share and tell because you're like, there's no way that this can happen to me and I'm gonna come back from it. But yes, you actually can. And if you can just keep going, get back on the bike after the crash or you know, get your goggles back on if they're knocked off, knocked off in the water or whatever it is in the run, you know, some awful cramp and you're struggling breathing with a side stitch or pain, you know, that might be the time to just go off on the side of the road and just walk for a little bit and just try to gather yourself and breathe. But that's where the mindset stuff helps because it's just a way to recenter yourself and regather yourself until you get going again. And then once you get moving again, all of a sudden you don't need it anymore. You're moving again. And that's what it's all about to keep moving forward and to keep doing what we're doing. And that's, uh, that's basically the way we want to keep living our lives, which is, which is a good thing. Yeah. I don't think that it's my body that gets me through any of these races. I could tell you that <laughs> my body doesn't cooperate. I don't have the strongest, healthiest body. It's definitely my strong, healthy mental will to, to do so. No question. And I don't think they're from the most elite athlete on down who has the highest VO2 max ever measured and can take on the highest amount of pain physically or mentally because pain can be both. It can be, and you know, both of them and maybe even simultaneously, whatever that combination of that athlete is, if their mental game isn't strong, they will get exposed in the lava fields or in Texas or in the New York City Marathon course, laid in the bridges or in Central Park. Eventually, if your mental game isn't strong, you'll get exposed. And whatever your fears are or whatever your weakness are will come to the forefront and it'll bring you down. So that's why the mental game, I always like to talk about that. It's always important. So um, I want to just ask one thing, you know, if we didn't cover anything that was important to you, because we certainly got to some really awesome stuff, super inspirational. The stories are amazing. I can't wait to share it with everybody. But did we have anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about tonight that's like top of mind for you, really important for 2021 or even moving forward that we didn't get a chance to cover? Um, not that we didn't cover it. I just want to reiterate that anyone is capable of doing anything. If you're sitting on the couch and you're fighting an addiction or you're fighting a mental battle or you're fighting weight or whatever, whatever it is you're fighting, there's no reason you can't do it. And, you know, start little, you know, it, it could be parking far away in a parking lot and walking to the door. It could be taking the stairs instead of riding the elevator. It can be checking your mail, you know, it, it's just moving. Movement is the answer to um, coping with any illness or disability or uh, whatever it is, really anything. I, I wish that doctors would prescribe movement more. Um, now, you know, I take a lot of medication, so I'm not saying that medication isn't needed for all of these, you know, any anything. Um, I'm just saying that I think that with movement, uh, the, the, the cure is, is going to come. You know, it's. I hope that one day I get in remission, but if I don't, I know that I'm still going to move. I'm going to do what I can. And, and I hope that others take from my story, from the stories that you share, that anything is possible. And no matter uh, if, if you're sitting there and it doesn't feel possible, um, you know, start little, start small and, and build from there. What a great message to close on. Um, I absolutely love uh, landing, landing the plane there. It's uh, such a positive message um, for everybody at home, for anybody out there. And uh, it's a great way to wrap it up. So we close every episode. We tell everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Wow. What an inspiring and truly amazing story. There were so many times listening to Jill 
roll through it with me that I had to pinch myself because it's really remarkable how much she's overcome, how many obstacles she's overcome, and how many challenges she's navigated in her life to this point. What an inspiring example to her four boys, to her family, and of course, to the big following she's built on Instagram through her blog and on her website. It's just, uh, it really got me in the mood and just took me out of my own spots where I've been struggling a little bit of late, just hearing how much she's had to face and take on to be able to get out there and compete, be it in an ultra race on the trail, you know, in a marathon race, in a, in a major city like Chicago or New York, or an Ironman triathlon. Kudos to you, Jill, for just getting after it and just having such a determined spirit. I can, I will. It certainly resonates. And I think your story is going to inspire a ton of Run Chats podcast listeners, because I certainly know that it inspired me. So thank you so much for sharing your story with the Run Chats audience. Keep doing what you're doing, Jill. Um, you're an amazing person. You have incredible attitude and you are a very strong and resilient person. And no doubt uh, you're inspiring and shaping your boys to be strong and resilient in whatever they decide to tackle in their lives as they grow up and become men. So thanks again for coming on and sharing your story. And to all the Run Chats listeners, as I say at this point in every episode, thank you so much for continuing to share on Instagram stories and Facebook and spreading the love, helping us find new followers to listen to the Run Chats podcast. It helps us get amazing guests like Jill to come on and share their stories. So continue to do that, please. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try uh, to start giving away more stuff, some coffee mugs, some hoodies, some t-shirts, and maybe even some race shirts. We'll see. I've got somebody who's super talented doing some work for me. Uh, it's on the down low, but uh, more to come on that. So appreciate you all so much, the Run Chats fam, the people that are part of what we're doing here and what we're building here. And uh, we're just going to keep building the mow here and we're going to keep grinding. And as we say at this point in every episode, my friends, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.